Happy New Year. Welcome to the first edition of Digging In, Missouri Farm Bureau's podcast for 2022. I am your special guest host, Garrett Hawkins, and serve as your president. I am thrilled today to be joined by uh, Senator Caleb Rowden, who is going to help us handicap and preview a little bit about what to expect in the state legislative session. So I am excited to hear what he's going to have to say. Uh, but but truly, it's great to be uh, back in rolling with uh, podcasts. And again, to our members and others, thank you for tuning in as we talk about some of the most pressing issues facing not just Farm Bureau, but um, all of Missouri. So I want to dive in. I've known Senator Rowden for quite a while, and many of you know him, but maybe Caleb, give a little bit about your background and the district that you represent. Sure. Yeah. So uh, this is my 10th session, uh, which seems crazy, but I, I got elected to the House in uh, 2012, uh, served two terms in the House, and this is the um, second term in the Senate. Uh, from from Columbia, I was actually born in southwest Missouri, but uh, been in Columbia for most of my life. Met my wife there. We have three kids, um, and uh, we uh, we love we love Mid Missouri. It's been it's been awesome to us. We had opportunities to move uh, not not too long before I decided to get into public office. I, I did music uh, before that and was a full time touring musician for a few years, and then had some job offers with some churches, and you know so. Had a chance to move a few different places. Decided to stay home. Decided to stay in Missouri, and and uh, at that point didn't really know what it would lead to necessarily. But now we're ten years later, and we've got a couple of uh, businesses that are doing well. And I've been doing this political thing as a as a really weird hobby for about a decade, and and uh, <laughs> so it's been great. And it's just as a reaffirmation of how much we love love in Missouri, and hopefully we can um, keep living here and raise our kids here and hopefully they stay here too. Well, I'm surprised you didn't mention that your doppelganger, Eric Bowl, is here in studio <laughs> with right. us today as sound technician. <laughs> it's good to know if I need like somebody to fill in, right? <clears throat> you know, for obviously I don't have the funnest job in the building. So <laughs> so, so let's talk about that job. So, segue, so, yeah. so you have a leadership role and have had, and, and maybe for our listeners, what does it mean to be majority floor leader? Yeah, Boil well, that down. It's, it's a way worse than it sounds. It's cool to have the, you know, the thing on your door that says you're majority leader but um no it's you know it really is um just kind of the the traffic cop of the senate that's what every, that's what a lot of people call it and it really is that you know we i, I work really closely with dave shots the president of the senate uh dave dave's role is much more active early in session because he refers bills uh, brings bills in from committee all of the things that happens really before they get to the floor that stuff is is uh, more front of session heavy uh, and then, you know, closer you get to spring break and then certainly after spring break, uh, most of the stuff that we do is on the floor. And so it's my job to uh, determine what comes to the floor, um, how long it stays on the floor. And you, you're, you're balancing just a lot of different variables there. Sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we get it wrong. Um, you know, we the, 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 the overnight things are usually my doing most of the time which uh, i don't make many friends when we do that but there there are a bunch of different ways that you can get a bill through the missouri senate and and um to some degree the the uh subject matter and the people involved dictates what kind of path you use and so you know it's 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 well known in the senate now over the last few years tort reform bills which are something that we we've done a fair amount of in the last few years tort reform is going to be overnight, right? If there's a big tort reform bill that we know we really, really want to get done, 
people just bear down. They get, you know, they get their their schedule for the night, you know, kind of ready because we just know that's going to happen. So it's a it's a neat job. Uh, it's you know it's an honor to do it, um, but it is a tough job. There's no doubt about it. Okay, so so you're balancing that job, but I want to take a step back. I mean, I assume you have priorities representing your Senate district. Yeah. So, so what do those priorities look like going into session? Yeah, you know, so um, I, I have not many priorities anymore. You kind of just don't get to have them because if you do have them and people know about them, they will use them as leverage. I, you know, we've learned that, and my predecessor, <laughs> Mike Kehoe, uh, told me about that. Uh, you know, I still care deeply about the university and want to make sure that, you know, we do everything we can to protect uh, what they've got going. Uh, you know, I love, love Dr. Choi and, and uh, just a lot of great things moving forward the right direction. So you don't want to do anything to stifle that. Um, I, I've become, uh, this wasn't a, an issue that was near and dear to my heart when I first got elected, become really passionate about education reform uh, and just making sure the parents have more choice in, in uh, how their kids are educated and there's transparency in that process. You know, but other than that, it, it really is uh, my my goal is to make the Senate run right. I, I think the um, I think the state of Missouri is better when the Missouri Senate is functioning well. Uh, I think the state of Missouri uh, is is doesn't deserve to have a Senate that is bogged down by people who are so caught up with their own personality conflicts that they they stand in the way of good stuff happening. Um, and I think we're we've all been guilty of that probably at times. And so you know, my my. My overarching goal, more than any specific piece of public policy, is just to say, okay, let's. If there's a if there's a, a dam, you know, somewhere, we just got to get it. We got to get it out of there, and so that we can let the let the stuff flow again. And so, that's an that's an easy job Sundays, and it's a hard job most days. Um, but it's it's one that I think is necessary, and and hopefully we've uh, got a chance to do some good stuff this year. So, Senator, I've been around the policy process enough years now to recognize that you know we always shoot to get things done in one year sure. state or federal yeah. but sometimes it becomes a multi-year effort and that's not just farm bureau yeah, that's sure. all yeah. groups who yeah. are working with their legislative officials and legislative officials who have their priorities but clearly it seems like from an ag and rural standpoint uh there's work to be done that's a carryover from, yeah. from from last session. I'm sure we're not the only ones. So you want to kind of give us a little bit of a preview what yeah. you expect going into well, session. Well, certainly, I, I think we were uh, – I, I was disappointed with how, um, you know, everything in the ag space went last year. And, you know, it, it's one of those things that, again, it was not – I'm not sure you can blame it on any one or any, any um, you know, set of circumstances. It was just the way session works at the end – there is a limited amount of bandwidth, uh, and if you don't kind of catch the right break at the right time, then things can get weird. Um, so we have, you know, there were some other kind of personality things that happened in the ag space, and so we've, you know, I've talked to a lot of folks over the interim, uh, Farm Bureau included, and said, hey, look, we, we, we messed up last year. We failed you last year. We're not going to fail you again. And I think, you know, we've worked really hard to talk to those personalities try to make sure that we, we know kind of where some of the, the policy, I'm not even sure it's conflict, but there's some overlap there that we've just got to work on and make sure that one thing doesn't get in front of the other like it did last year as far as people saying, um, well, my thing my thing has to go if this thing's going to go or I'm going to kill it all, that sort of thing. Um, you know, so that, that's been good. Um, I think the communication with the governor's office on, on you know, some of these ag things has been uh, good. They're obviously on board and ready to do whatever they can do to help. So, um, it, it, it should be, I, I've heard, um, it, it's a, probably an early priority coming out of the house, which gives us 
um, even more leverage. You know, it, there, when it's a Senate bill, um, you, you still there's a number of votes to be had before something's going to get across the finish line. Whereas if we've got a House bill in our hands very early in session, there, there's just everybody knows at that point there's enough momentum. You can't fully stand in the way, so you got to figure out a way to get it done. So hopefully we can. Uh, make that happen and and um, kind of kind of uh, undo what was done last year. Okay, so so at least there's some encouraging words when it comes to renewing MASBITA tax yeah, credits yeah. and and some of the other pressing ag issues. Um, eminent domain property rights, you know that issue continues to heighten, particularly as we see more action at the federal level yeah. in terms of not legislative passage of the Green New Deal, so to speak, <laughs> but other stuff, yeah. Other stuff, yeah, no it, doubt. breaking it apart, and some of it happening through executive action. Yeah. So, so, what do you, what's your prognosis? Like, how do we continue to have the property rights discussion uh, within the General Assembly and and press upon the need to add more teeth yeah. when it comes to the power of eminent domain and its use? Yeah. So, I, I think that I, I think there's a couple of things I'll say. One, uh, and we've talked to um, Senator Bean, who I think has been uh, has is filing the, the, the bill has been good on the issue. Um, you know, that that issue has a weird, uh, a very unique cross-section of opposition. And so what I've told him uh, is, uh, you know, the, the earlier we can get it out of committee, get it to committee, get it out of committee, um, uh, or get it over from the House one way or the other, and, and again, have, have kind of the, the, the leverage point and the momentum to say, hey, look, we're serious about this. Um, you know, we, we got it. Uh, a little bit later than we thought we were going to get it last year, and then it, and then things got caught up in that end of session tornado, which uh, uh, you know a lot of stuff did. You, you, your guys' stuff just was kind of the outside outsized um, uh, consequence of of the end of session. But you know, I, I do think it's a fundamental um, thing that we should be doing in saying that, hey, look, you know, we 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 don't want to stand in the way of progress. We don't stand, want to stand in the way of of you know, private companies doing good stuff, but but um, there is a um, there is a, a a cost of doing business. There is a, a reality as it relates to your interaction with the state and your interaction with the people of the state, right? And and I think we um, I, that that's been my biggest disappointment two years in a row. And I and I've I've been blamed for you know some of the um, uh, push blowback from that, and it's fully understandable. Um, but I think we have to figure out a way to get it right. And I know I've talked to you over the interim, and and you know the the grain belt thing is this one project, um, and and you know it continues to move forward. But then there's kind of to your point with some of the federal stuff. There's a whole host of other things that could be coming down the pike. So I think we as a state have to do two things. We have to say, okay, is there a way to, uh, uh you know, kind of look back and make the the prospects better for the folks that are in that grain belt, you, you know, line, wh- whatever we can do there still. And then also think about what looking forward um, looks like, because I do think we, we, we can't we don't want to get caught off guard again as a state. And I do think as a state, we should say definitively if if, you know, private companies are going to use this. Number one, I don't think they should. Um, uh, and so if that if that's where we go, that's fine. We, we, we've got to make sure that the teeth, whatever those teeth are, whatever that policy, um, you know, kind of set looks like we got to get in law uh, and, and hopefully we can do it this year. Well, thank you. And, you know, the conversation isn't going away. Yeah, I mean, the infrastructure package had a FERC piece to it in terms of pulling more power 
up to the feds yeah. from the states. Yeah. And so there are things, there are important conversations to be had that we're going to continue to, to bring up. It's yeah. imperative. So uh, we also have some key opportunities that we talked a little bit about at our annual meeting that are opportunities, but challenges for you all as well. And that's the infusion of federal dollars yeah. for infrastructure. So you know that we're very excited about the governor's broadband plan. We're encouraging our members to engage in their communities and, and counties with conversations about other infrastructure projects, whether it's highways, bridges, drinking water, wastewater. But there's a huge legislative piece that you all have to juggle. Yeah. Um, so so walk us through that. What does that look like? Because that yeah. adds a whole other element to the session. Well, I tell you, I, it's, it, I think part of it is to be determined. I, I think we... Kind, some of us have been able to grasp just because we've been talking about it uh, a little bit more than others. Just the the expanse of 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 the dollars that you know that are currently available to us uh, in in a lot of these different areas and infrastructure and broadband being one. Um, you know, you're going to have you, you kind of have two or three parallel conversations happening at once. One is, um, do we spend the money? Do we spend it all? Right, uh, and and that's a conversation that that you know generally happens a lot. Um, what do you spend it on? Uh, and, and then that obviously gets a little hairy. And then the other part that I think people um, are, are less, uh, it's, 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 it's kind of more of an in-the-weeds process, but like how does the money get to the place that it's supposed to go, right? Because when you're talking about some of these infrastructure, I mean, we, we know if you're going to spend money on roads, you're going to go through MoDOT. But there's a bunch of other stuff that's, that's been in some of these federal packages that, that are, you know, um, um, pipes and, and, and things like that, 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 you know, from our perspective, the state level, um, we, we've got to make sure that if we're going to spend money, that we do it in the most efficient way, that it gets to the place that it's supposed to go. And it does it with the least amount of middlemen in the middle that are going to inevitably take some of that money away from taxpayers. And so it's a, it's a complex process. And all three of those pieces, um, have, you know, kind of, People who are more passionate about, you know, uh, do we spend the money, how we spend the money, that sort of thing. So you've got a bunch of overlap on um, people who are passionate about different parts in the process. So, it, it, you know, we'll see how it goes. I mean, it's uh, I don't think any of us quite fully understand the the amount of money that's available to us and, and how we do that in, in a way that's responsible uh, in, in a way that, you know, knowing that a lot of this money came from the federal government, you know, the federal government has its own set of issues as it relates to fiscal responsibility and so we want to be aware of those things um it, it's a tough balance and I, I you know it's not going to be a one-year thing right I, I think there's i don't think we could spend it all this year really even if we yeah. wanted to right so i mean i think we're thinking ahead and, and trying to be intentional about you know making investment right as opposed to just saying well let's just spend money because we have it you know i think about it you know our federal government continues to leverage the futures of your kids yeah, my kids no our grandkids and the money's here we better invest it wisely, right. thinking about those who are to follow, because yeah. they're the ones that are paying for it. No, that's like, right. I mean, we all are today, yeah. but future it, generations are going to continue to pay for yeah, this. Yeah, so it's, it's it, there's no doubt. And when I was, you know, when I first got elected, I my my, my wife was actually pregnant with our first kid. He's he's uh, you know almost nine now. Um, but when I where I am then, where I am now, as opposed to where I was then, as opposed to you know really thinking about the impact of the decisions we make on the next generation, is obviously night and day now with three kids. Um, it's important. I mean, it's, it, it is, it is the only, nobody's going to remember, remember my name 20 years from now, you know, as it relates to state government, but there are some legacies that you can leave as it relates to the decisions you make, um, you know, in, in some of these really critical moments. And so hopefully we can get that right. 
Well, this critical moment has also yielded opportunity for Farm Bureau. That's why we're partnering with BioSTL on some projects yeah. to work on how we advance precision agriculture in the state. And now we're partnering as a founding member uh, for their Center for Rural Health Innovation. And, and so there's some exciting opportunities and opportunities to leverage dollars in a unique fashion, yeah, right. <laughs> in a one-time that's fashion yeah. to, to really move the needle across the state. Yeah, so. that's awesome. So look forward to, to working with you there. You know, we haven't covered uh, what may be the elephant in the room. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> well, well, okay. <laughs> there are multiple elephants. So, redistricting. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, gosh is right. So what do you think? Yeah, you know, it's um, – I actually think we're in a pretty good spot. Um, we, we, we've done – obviously, we've done a tremendous amount of, uh, of work uh, ahead of putting these maps out in the last couple of days. Um, you know, conversations with the delegation, the current delegation, um, uh, and I think Dan Shaw, who's the House uh, chair, and Mike Bernsketter, who's the Senate chair, they, they've been working really, really hard. You know, you have a couple things at play. You know, I, I think you have to you have to check a few boxes, and, and I, I think maybe there are some folks who are taking advantage of the fact that the, the general average citizen knows very, very little about what redistricting even is. There are a few boxes that we have to check. One, we have to pass a constitutional map, um, uh, which is – not the easiest thing in the world, certainly doable, which, uh, and, and we will do that, but you have to make sure that you have that in play. Um, you, you, you have to be able to pass a map, right? Which is one thing that I think has, um, gotten lost in some of the, the fanfare, uh, over the last week is just to say, it, it's, it's fine to say, well, if I could wave a magic wand, I would do things a certain way. Uh, you know, maybe that's a seven, one map or whatever. Um, but what I have found in the conversations that I've had with our caucus members and, and even more so in the House is that um, it, you'd have a hard time passing passing that map because of what it does in some of these key areas, St. Louis County, uh, Jackson County to a lesser degree, um, Greene County. And, and then I, I want a map that's reflective of the state, right? So you have constitutionality, a map that you can actually get uh, the, the, the requisite number of votes to pass. And then a map that I think reflects the state. Certainly the state is trending to the right um, and and has more so over the last decade for sure. Um, so, but, but I think the notion that we one, – one thing that I don't buy into is um, because Illinois is a bunch of corrupt lunatics as it relates to any number of things, not the least of which is how they gerrymander their districts, well, Missouri should, you know, do the same. Well, I, I don't think Missouri Republicans want to be – put in line with Illinois Democrats on much of anything, right? I, I think that's something that, that this notion, this tit-for-tat thing is, is just not something that I buy into. We're going to pass a map um, that I think is is reflective of the state, um, that, that keeps community, communities of interest together. I think that's even more important to rural Missouri now than it's ever been. Um, and, and, and I think do it in a way that is, is reflective of the state. And that's a hard, it, it's hard, but it's not really hard we, we can make it really hard um but i think the map that's out there and certainly you know i came into the process just saying hey look i want to pass a map i'd probably vote for anything uh, just to get the thing off my plate um but uh, i also want to make sure that we do it in the right way and and i think we're i think we're closer than people think so we'll see how that goes okay i like I the optimism uh, y'all he he actually is smiling as he's talking <laughs> into the microphone here so <laughs> um an issue you mentioned earlier, education reform, that's been one of your yeah. um, your passions. You know, I've always been amazed, you know, if you ever watch a, a Farm Bureau delegate session at our state annual meeting, you know, 
education is always a hot topic because sure. our members are parents, grandparents, sure. school board members, taxpayers. And so we spent a little time at this past annual meeting talking a little bit about curriculum yeah, uh, specifically. Sure. But what do you, what do you think is going to come up with regard to education this yeah, session? You know, I think they're, the, the conversation has clearly shifted, right, for the last decade or more and even, you know, back to – Catherine Hannaway and Peter Kinder, when the Republicans first took the majority, they started talking about education reform, but they kept just running into these brick walls and weren't able to do big stuff. Um, just the, 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 I guess it started probably with COVID and just the response to COVID and parents' frustration. And, and now we've seen it get snowballed in with CRT and, you know, some of these really extreme actions of, of teachers unions around the country. Um, you know, it, it, it is a, I, I think the, context of the conversation is almost entirely different than it was even five years ago um you know education reform is a unique issue in the capital in that um you know my i generally know where democrats are but i've got to get votes from rural republicans um some of which uh don't love they probably most of us most are, are with us on the policy but they don't love the idea of pushing back against the education establishment in their communities because the, the, those are really loud voices, right? Um, and so I think how the conversation has shifted now is it's not just about saying, well, are you taking money away from public education, which is a false argument to begin with. But now you're, you're really fundamentally talking about choice. You're really fundamentally talking about the rights of a parent to have some say in how their kids are educated, right? And so, you know, I don't want to be – I don't want to be – I don't want to take advantage of, of a moment that's not there, but I also I think we should all be honest about some of the real significant challenges uh, that are, that's facing public education. And, you know, the, the worst, most fundamentally flawed argument I've, I've ever heard of in in uh, public policy in the in the state capital in 10 years is to say that if you're for education reform, that you, you are anti public education for some like. It, that is it, it's insane it's an insane argument uh, i'm a product of public education Columbia, i'm proud of it um but but we live in a different time and and the more choices that we can provide for parents especially parents and uh, the you know that that struggle financially and that don't have the means to just write a check and send their kids to private school if they want to um it, it is it, it's just fundamental i mean i just it and it, i've become so much more passionate about it than i ever was not because it wasn't I, I just didn't know i didn't understand the issue you know really fully when i first got elected to the house but so we'll see what happens i mean i, I want to make sure we get it right there there are clearly problems right and we can solve we can try to solve problems with and create more problems which i don't want to do and the legislature does that from time to time <laughs> this is such an important issue that we've got to make sure that the set of solutions that we propose and pass are right and they, that they actually do the things that we say that they're going to do. And so hopefully I got a lot of confidence in Cindy O'Loughlin on our side, um, you know, is, is worked harder than anybody on, on this issue. Chuck uh, Basie, who's a Boone County colleague of mine over in the House, got a lot of confidence in them. I think they can lead the fight and, and I'm excited to see what we can get done. Okay, before we wrap up, I want to touch on another meaty issue, okay. meaty to Farm Bureau, okay. initiative, petition, yeah. reform. I mean, during our times, Caleb, I mean, we've seen it become that much more important, yeah. right, as the process particularly is influenced by out-of-state interests. Um, last session, we saw some, I think in my mind, a, a lot of really good ideas yeah. um, that made a lot of sense to to put some teeth <clears throat> 
What do you think? What's the path forward for initiative petition yeah, reform? I think it's good this year. Um, we, we we kind of recognized and we knew last year, again, with just kind of the bandwidth uh, restriction that we had, we knew that um, we had another year on election stuff because there's not any substantive election in uh, November of 21. Um, so we knew we had this year as well to get it right. So we kind of always saw it as a two-year proposition. Um, you know, I think there's a couple things to, to say. One, you know, this this notion that we always talk, the, 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 mostly the political left talks about the idea, well, there's, you know, there's not there's not any fraud or anything like that. I, this notion that, you know, just because maybe there aren't, although I can think of a few elections where, um, you know, fraud has changed the outcome doesn't mean that fraud, we shouldn't try to fix it, right? Um, you know, as it relates to IP reform, you've got uh, this this now we live in a state where you know the vast majority of our marijuana policies in the constitution um bingo policy is in our constitution a number america our, our constitution's a mess um and it's because largely the ip process I, you know folks now i think they're the, the pushback in some cases is well um you're you're going to create an environment where only rich people uh, you know or out of state funders can can put stuff on a ballot well, really, largely, that's that that's kind of where we're at now, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think we're taking yeah. it from a, a scenario where you can have this viral movement that leads to something getting on a ballot. You know, I, I do think, and you know, the constitutional threshold is 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 a, such an easy uh, conversation to have. If you're going to change the constitution, there should be a higher threshold than fifty plus one, and I even think that should be true of of our vote in the legislature. Uh, you know, I think if we're gonna if we're gonna do something that's gonna um, a, a add some some uh, beef to the Constitution, we should uh, it should be more than fifty plus one in in, in all in both scenarios. So I, I'm optimistic. Um, you know, it's a, it is a it's also a unique issue, and there's there's some opposition on both sides, and the opposition is kind of different for different reasons. And so we'll see how what that overlap um, provides as far as opposition in the Senate. You know, I don't think the House would have any problem passing anything. We'll just have to see what the Senate does. But this is the right year to do it. Um, I think there's momentum to do it. You know, I think both sides need to be honest about. Um, what we're doing, why we're doing it, and and not not try to fear monger, uh, you know, kind of our way into making folks think that this is something that it's not. Okay, and what have I missed? Oh, Uh-oh, he just got oh. passed a note card <laughs> from your doppelganger here. <laughs> <laughs> COVID, yeah, mass liability, vaccine mandates. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting. I I I, I did an interview uh, yesterday and we're in this really odd moment where generally speaking, and I, I was talking to a, a group of healthcare folks, generally speaking, the general public's done, right? They're, 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 yes. they're done with um, any sort of mandate that tells them they have to do something to live their life. Right. Um, now that doesn't mean, you know, I, I, I've said a couple things. One, you can be pro vaccine and anti vaccine mandate. That's a very easy position to hold for. And a lot of people do, um, you know, we, we, now you're seeing the spike, the spike in cases from Omicron, but but I think the spike, if South Africa is any indication, the spike's going away fairly quickly. Omicron symptoms are much less, and in some cases are obviously giving um, antibodies in, in a good way without providing a lot of the other, uh, you know, things that Delta did. Um, you know, from my perspective, most of the, it, it, probably all of the other mitigation strategies other than uh, making the vaccine av- available as far as possible, making testing available as, as far and wide as possible. I think everything else we're just it, it is should be off the table at this point because we 
number one, I'm not sure most of this stuff works. Um, and you can provide instances where, um, you know, where you, where that bears out from the data. Uh, but again, you, you have to, there's a, there's a political reality of COVID that's not political, but it's just what the people of XYZ community are willing to endure, right? And I think we're to the point in most cases, and even Columbia hasn't had a, you know, not, not the most conservative city on the planet that, you know, hasn't had a mask mandate for a number of months, um, has just really just said, hey, we're going to band together and be smart about it and not be dumb and live our lives and get your shot if you want to, and, and we're going to move on. And everything's fine, right? So, I mean, I, I think that's, uh, uh, you know, we are going to stand in the way of, I think, of local entities that go too far. Uh, and we started that process last year, and I think we're all willing to continue to do that. You know, like I said, at this point, it, I think local communities should just um, be done with it and move on. It's, it's it, because, because mostly because they're, I think the, the people of those communities are going to dictate. It's just time to time to move on. Well, we are anxious as the Supreme Court takes up yeah. the mandate issue. Yeah. I mean, you're you're aware that we've joined with MFA Inc. Yep. and MFA Oil and, and Doyle Manufacturing to yeah. challenge. Uh, from an employer standpoint, we believe it should be our individual employee's yeah. choice in terms of— Well, and I, I think the president knew what he was doing was unconstitutional from the start. So, I mean, <laughs> you, you just—you just, you, you got to do things to please some folks at one time. I think I think everybody knew, including the folks who who did that, that that this is where this was headed. So you know, it, it's kind of unfortunate because you create this firestorm just for political reasons to appease a base, right? I think is is effectively what what we're doing here, uh, which that's unfortunate, but it is what it is. I think I think the and I appreciate you guys doing that. I think the result is going to be what's supposed to be one way or the other. Well, we are anxious to get a result and, and actually have certainty for our employees. Yeah. Um, I understand that. <laughs> um, yes. Well, certainly appreciate your time. You bet. Uh, don't let it go to your head that you're the first guest of the year I, I on digging that. in. That's awesome. Um, so, so don't you know? Don't go around puff chest. Uh. <laughs> I'm going to be humble tomorrow. I can guarantee it, one way or the other. <laughs> first uh, day session. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we take uh, every episode of digging in seriously. I like it. I appreciate uh, it. But no, just thank you for making time to come by to talk about some really important issues, and and thank you. You know, again, as we talk about opportunity, as we talk about challenge, uh, thank you for for recognizing the unfinished business that needs to get done. And that's certainly, as you hear more about Farm Bureau's agenda, uh, it truly is made up of unfinished business that was clear from our members coming out of annual meeting. And and we're going to engage like never before when it comes to broadband and some of these key uh, maybe once in a generation opportunities to to make a difference across rural Missouri. So, So look forward to working with you. Awesome. Appreciate what you guys do. Well. Thank you, and thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the first edition of 2022 of Digging In. Take care.